Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 39. Good to see that everybody has not uh, decided to skip church for the pre-Super Bowl time. (laughs) So, praise the Lord. Okay, let's uh, pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Great is your faithfulness to us. Great is your word to us. And so, Lord, we pray that as we open your word, Lord, that we would open our hearts and you would open to us the wonders of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Now, Genesis chapter 39, and we're going to start reading here, verse 6. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, if she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within, and she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us, He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Okay. Now, in our last study in Genesis, you remember how we saw that Joseph was was just a very, very innocent Joseph, preoccupied with his business, which was Potiphar's business. And he unwisely walked into the house when no men were there, and that's what we saw in verse 11, and that was equivalent to him walking by 
a trapdoor spider. Have you ever seen a trapdoor spider? <laughs> it's like, bam, you know. And it's sure enough, the spider emerges from the trapdoor, and her name is Potiphar's wife, or whatever her name was. But anyway, she was Potiphar's wife. So she comes out in verse 12 and grabs him by his garment. And Joseph, he's in shock, and he sees, you know, this poisonous fang lie with me, you know, like <laughs> a drip of poison, you know. And it's interesting that you might think it's a little stretch, but since when have I ever been known to stretch a little bit? So anyway, but she says, lie with me. And she means lie down with me. But it's interesting that it's exactly the same other word for lie, you know, <laughs> as tell a lie with me, you know. And, and of course, we're just going to kind of play with this a little bit. So tell the lie with me that you and I are both being faithful to Potiphar. That would be a lie, of course. And I'm not trying to say that this is the intended double meaning in the statement. Obviously, it's not the same word in Hebrew, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just interesting to think of these two meanings as we have it in English of lie, because she wasn't asking you know, Joseph if he wanted to lie down with her. She was asking Joseph, she was bold, and she was aggressive, and she was commanding him, lie down with me. And this was moral impurity, you know, lie with me. But would not lie with her, then she went forward with her telling lies. What it shows here is how falsehood or telling lies go hand in hand with moral impurity, which they do. And we saw last week how Joseph would have nothing to do with it. And it says in verse 12, Joseph fled. He fled is the word there, out of the house of lust. This was the house of lust. And when it says that Joseph fled from the house, this is probably, this passage is probably what Paul had in mind when he spoke to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 2.22, because in 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul is advising young Timothy, and he says to him, flee also youthful lusts. But follow after righteousness, faith, charity, and peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So for Joseph, Potiphar's wife represented lust. And since Joseph was young, Potiphar's wife was like an impersonation of youthful lust. Youthful lust. That's what he called it. Paul called it youthful lust. It reminds me of when Pastor Jim was telling me one time, one day, when he was having fellowship with some older pastors. You know, they used to meet here in the morning. Do you remember that, older pastors, you know? Well, it's not that they were all old, but anyway, this group happened to be. Anyway, and one of the pastors in the group, he told me, he said, you know what? After so many years, I finally got the victory over being tempted by other women. Yeah. And another pastor said to him, no, you didn't. You just had your 50th birthday. <laughs> but it's true. The lust for the sexual gratification is most intense in youth. And looking at Potiphar's wife, she's like, for Joseph, she's the personification of youthful lust. And we can see from verse 10, if you look at it this way, the youthful lust speaks day by day. It doesn't give up. Potiphar's wife, you know, she tries to engage Joseph, you know, and tries to get his eyes you know, to look at her, to get his attention. It's this constant invitation to indulge. 
But what we've seen with Joseph and what's so great about him is that he avoided every opportunity to allow himself to be even entertained by these youthful lusts. As it says in, in verse 10 there, he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. So what he's really doing is he's keeping up this vigilance every day. It was tough for him. It was hard. I mean, he's guarding it. He's got vigilant defenses against her invitations, constant fight for him that never ends, constantly talking to Joseph day by day. And if Joseph is really going to hold on, which he did, and stand fast, he's got to constantly keep his guard up. Obviously, this came as a big surprise, but he wasn't aware that there wasn't any men in the house. But he can't let his guard down. And it's hard work. It's tough work. That's why alcohol is so dangerous because what alcohol does is it weakens. You say, I'll, I'll take a drink and relax. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. It also relaxes the defenses and the guard goes down, which is why it says in Proverbs twenty three thirty one. speaking about alcohol, it says, look not thou upon the wine when it is red. And that doesn't mean to drink white wine. It's just speaking of him. <laughs> When it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, you know, as in bubbling, as in fermentation, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thy heart shall utter perverse things. So when Proverbs, this verse, Proverbs 23, 31 says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth color, it moves itself aright. You know, this isn't grape juice we're talking about here. <laughs> this is a fermentation of alcohol. So, and then it says, at the last, it biteth like a serpent, stings. You know, alcohol, at the first, it's pleasant, you know. But the problem is, at the last, when it says the issue is at the last, which means what it leads to. And one of the dangers of alcohol is that it causes a, a person to let down, relax too much, so to speak, his moral guard and it causes a man to see a world of all these women you never saw before. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. Boy, where were you all my life, you know? <laughs> and when it says, at the last, it stingeth like a serpent. That's a picture of sin. You know, sin starts out as entertaining. Sin does start out as pleasurable, as delightful. As Moses smokes about, speaks about Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty five. It says in Hebrews eleven twenty five that Moses, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There's no doubt about it. Sin is pleasurable. Sin is entertaining initially. Sin is pleasurable initially. Sin is delightful initially. And just as it was with even the garden, I mean, when we get that description of her first initial experience with sin, it's pleasant. It's good. In Genesis 3, 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired, desirable, to make one wives, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. See, initially, that fruit that Eve saw there, it was good, it was pleasant, it was delightful, it was desirable. That's the way sin is. Initially, it is all of that. But afterwards, at the last as it says in Proverbs, where afterwards, you know, all this pleasure and this delight and this entertainment and is only initial just for a season, just for a season. At the last, it stingeth like an adder, which is what we read about in the next verse in Genesis 3, 7, when it says, and the eyes of them both were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So afterward, 
rolled in the shame, the guilt, the distrust, the blaming, the separation. And all of that came afterwards. So what we saw with Joseph was that he he didn't let that happen. He kept this resistance to not even be with the personification of youthful lust, which was Potiphar's wife. And finally, when it came down to it, Joseph fled. He ran out. And when we see him fleeing in verse 12, we see a picture of what Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 6.18, 1 Corinthians 6.18, where he said, flee fornication. And then he explained, look, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. These statements, to flee, means don't think about it. Don't look at sexual immorality. Just flee. Don't be curious about sexual immorality. Just flee. Don't listen to sexually immoral invitations. Just flee. Don't try to understand it. Analyze it. Uh, sexual immorality, just flee. And so Joseph fled. And that's the beauty that we see here of Joseph is this word fled, Joseph fled. And when he did, uh, he left his garment behind, uh, which, okay, you know, he wasn't thinking. But anyway, that's what he did. He just wanted to get himself out, as we saw last week. So we can picture Potiphar's wife now. There she stands in verse 13. It came to pass when she saw that he left his garment in her hand and was fled forth. Now, the word in verse 13 that really paints the picture for us in Potiphar's wife is this word saw. When Potiphar's wife saw, when she saw that he left his garment in her hand. So from this word saw, we could see her. She's standing there and she's looking at this garment. And she looks at the garment, she goes, oh ho. <laughs> have I got an opportunity in my hand right now? Boy, my day has come. Now, she really did this, and we got to ask ourselves the question, what opportunity did she see? Why was she so happy when she saw have this garment in her hand? Well, she sees an opportunity, and she's very quick to seize on this opportunity in verse 14, And she flies right into action when it says, she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, see, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. So this is her plan going immediately into action. There's no delay here. She calls the men of her house. Her plan needs an audience. So she assembles an audience, and that's what she needs. And now... Her audience is assembled, all the men are there, and we read in verse 14 that she spake unto them, saying, see, he hath brought an Hebrew unto us to mock us. So what's so significant about what she starts out saying is the word see. You know, first it was saw, she saw the garment, now she says she saw the garment in her hand. She knew why that garment was there, because she tried to catch him. And he left his garment, but she's got another thing for everybody to see. So she says, see? And when she said, see, it's just as though she's she's standing there, you know, like I am. Well, I don't want to say I'm Potiphar's wife, but anyway. (laughs) She said, see? She was standing there, and then she's like, she set up this easel. And then she's got a palette of paints in her hand. 
And she begins to paint a picture with the word see. She's painting this picture. And she's painting the picture of a great lie, a great deception, a great falsehood. Now, for us, thanks to the word of God, we know the truth of what really happened. But when she says see, and we hear what she said, it practically knocks us off our chairs. You would say, what? You know, I mean, we've seen Potiphar's wife as a personification of lustful immorality, youthful lust, right? But now we see her the personification of lying, of deception, which is why we can see that sexual immorality goes hand in hand with falsehood, with telling lies. And so from her first words, now we can understand the opportunity that she has seen, that she is seizing on, and what is her real motivation in all of this. And she starts off, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us. Now, I know you know this, but who is he referring to? No one says that. He hath brought in a Hebrew unto us. Who is he? It's Potiphar. It's Potiphar. It's Potiphar. So her first accusation is not against Joseph. Supposedly tried to, who she's accusing falsely, of trying to force her. Her first, first accusation is of her husband. And she wants everybody to see the whole problem here is not Joseph. Well, what can you expect from those Hebrews anyway, you know? <laughs> right? The whole problem here is he, he hath brought in in Hebrew unto us. You know what she's saying here? She's blaming that worthless, no good, mean, foolish, inconsiderate husband of hers is responsible for everything that happened. What's this show us? She despises her husband. She hates her husband. And now we're going to see that her goal is to hate her husband, is to hurt her husband that she hates. She never loved Joseph at all. She just hated her husband. And if she could have an affair with Joseph, that would hurt her husband. And then she'd feel that she was the winner. Furthermore, she saw that her husband loved Joseph. Her husband, Potiphar, loved Joseph. So she hates what her husband loves. So she hates Joseph. So if from her lies that she is telling here, and it was likely that Joseph would be executed, if from her lies Joseph would have been killed, which normally would have been, that would have been fine with her because she hates what her husband loves. And you notice in verse 14, as we've been pointing out here, how she's referring to her husband. He's just he. It's like he. She can't even bring herself to, certainly not going to call him my husband. She doesn't say, you know, my husband. She's not going to say that. And she's not going to even say Potiphar, his name, instead of just he. You know? It's Proverbs 6.26 all over again. Proverbs 6.26. The adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Show me an adulteress, and I'll show you a woman who hates men. Potiphar's wife was out to destroy Potiphar and Joseph, which is seen in how she even refers to Joseph. She doesn't call him the Hebrew servant. She doesn't call him, rather, Joseph. She doesn't call him by his name. Just an Hebrew, an Hebrew. Not even the Hebrew, just any. You know? And Joseph will always be known with this derogatory term in Egypt as a Hebrew. He'll never get away from this. He'll never get away from that title. It's a name of reproach 
to the Egyptians as, as we will see in Genesis 43.32, Genesis 43.32. When Joseph is our, is second to Pharaoh, they set on for him by himself for food, and for them by themselves, the Egyptians and the Hebrews separated eating, and for the Egyptians, which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that's an abomination unto the Egyptians. Even after he's, he's so highly exalted there, he's still a Hebrew, and he can't eat with them because that's an abomination for the Egyptians. Now, we just see how the Egyptians were representing, we've just seen, how the Egyptians were representing the Arab states in the United Nations when they brought this resolution to condemn the Hebrew state of Israel. And it was only after Mr. Trump called the Egyptians that they retracted their condemnation resolution only to be taken up by, shamefully, by New Zealand of anything. And oh boy, don't eat New Zealand lamb. And Senegal. I don't know what you can get from Senegal, but anyway, that's what happened. So she accuses Joseph of trying to mock the Egyptians, mock in the sense of insult, insult, treat them, treat them badly. Now, she didn't say that Joseph tried to mock her. What she said was, Joseph tried to mock us. It's the Hebrews against the Egyptians. In other words, she's pulling the race card by saying this Hebrew, these Hebrews are trying to insult all of the Egyptians. Okay, now we don't know anything about that today, so anyway, that's me. <laughs> all right, so she's saying that Joseph was trying to force any Egyptian female. So she made it sound like Joseph was against all the Egyptians, the Hebrews. Now, she said that she cried with a loud voice. That's funny. No one seemed to hear her loud voice, because she didn't have it, but she claims to have cried it. Behind all this lie is this undertone of, how could my husband endanger my sterling moral purity? Right? How could my husband abandon me so that I have to stand up and protect my pure moral virtue? That's really, really what she's saying here. I mean, and now she has to explain how she ended up with Joseph's garment. So she conveniently leaves out the fact that it was in her hand because, you know, she saw it initially in her hand, but in her explanation, she doesn't say that in her hand. Instead, she says in verse 15, and it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me or by me and fled and got out. So she said that it was because she screamed that Joseph got frightened and left his garment there. I mean, she made it sound like Joseph had taken his garment off in his aggression and then forgot it when he fled. Now, we hear all this, you know, this whole thing, and we go, wow, that's some story that she's just made up. And, okay, but now the question is, what about Joseph? How is Joseph going to respond to all these lies against him. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.